Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. My name is Danny Flood, and I am super excited for today's discussion. I am joined by Andrew Michael of Funify. I just want to welcome you, Andrew. Uh, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Uh, why don't you tell me and the listener a little bit about Funify? What's your, your vision for that, and uh, what are you guys up to? Great. Uh, so for us at Funify, uh, we're on a mission, and our mission is to positively impact every family on the planet. Uh, and the way we've gone about doing this and we've started is uh, our first app uh, is aimed at motivating kids to get their chores done. Uh, we saw that this was, was the number one problem within households with parents arguing with their kids. And we thought that, okay, if we can provide value and we can show, uh, we can find a solution uh, for these parents and we'll be able to build a brand and become uh, known as a household go-to for, for mobile apps and games for families. So the app that you're building right now, it, it motivates children to uh, get their chores done. You said before the call this was the number one problem that you identified in the household. Um, I'd like to go back a little bit. How, how did you kind of settle on this idea? And then uh, what was the formative stages of, of Funify like? You know, how did you decide on this business? Do you have like a, a background that's uniquely suited to this type of business? Yeah, uh, we actually have like, uh, it's quite an interesting story actually, the way we started out uh, with Funify. Yeah, tell me. So it was um, about, I'd say, two and a half years ago when we first started, uh, myself and one of our co-founders, George, uh, we were working for a popular energy drink company and um, we were there for about a year and a half and we just weren't really satisfied with what we were doing, although we had really good jobs at the time. Uh, I was doing the digital marketing uh, side for the global uh, brand, and uh, George was setting up the traditional. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a fairly good uh, job for us uh, at our stage in our career as well, and we just weren't felt we were being fulfilled. Uh, and we spent like about six to eight months coming up with ideas every night around like how are we going to get started, uh, trying to always come up with that unique idea that it's, it's nobody else has done or nobody else has tried it. Uh, we'd maybe find something, get started for it for about two, three weeks, find somebody else, and then get disheartened in a way. Uh, and actually, like we said, and it sounds a little bit cheesy now, but uh, George actually came down from a meeting one day with uh, our boss at the time, and uh, on his computer there was a quote there by uh, Steve Jobs that he mentioned to John Scully at the time when he tried to get him away from Pepsi to join him at Apple. And it said, uh, do you want to continue selling sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want a chance to change the world uh, and <laughs> this pretty much was what we were doing except we were taking it to another extreme like we were selling sugar water to kids and uh, it really wasn't fulfilling we said okay whatever happens now like there was a really cool event coming up it was a startup live event which is like a weekend hackathon an idea to take your idea and get a concept going we said let's just pick any one of the ideas we have, uh, go to this event and see what happens. We've got nothing to lose. It's, it's a weekend event. Uh, so we picked one. It, it was a totally different concept and idea to what we're doing today. And we called up Dennis, our other co-founder, who I've been lucky to work with as well in the past and had the opportunity to work with him in our current uh, positions. We said, look, we're going to do this event. Uh, you're a really talented designer. We'd like you to join us on the team and help us out. Uh, 
yeah, sure, I've got nothing better to do for the weekend. Why not? Um, so we ended up going through to the events Friday night, full of energy, all excited. We thought we had a great idea. And uh, our purpose was to pitch your idea initially and then get people to join you. So we were looking for developers at the time as well. And we pitched our idea and absolutely nobody liked it. Nobody decided to join us. So it was, okay, well, let's continue anyway. Um, and then it was a team-building event on the Friday night, and they said, okay, we just want you guys to get a bit familiar because there was new teams that had just been form- formed. And they said, come up and pick three words from a bucket and come up with a business idea. Uh, so we went up, we picked up the three three words, came back, and for about nine minutes we talked absolute junk. Uh, and then the last minute we said, okay, let's maybe take this serious because if they like our, us, our team now, they'll take us more seriously on Sunday for judging. And that's when, like, the first initial concept of Funify came about. Uh, so uh, the three words we got were clean, motion, and speed. Uh, and our very initial concept was around uh, getting people to do the household chores and making a game out of it. Um, and this was probably one of our first mistakes we made, but it was also uh, it was really interesting that it showed the power of our team uh, at an early stage in that during that weekend we had built out our website, we had a three-minute animation video explaining how it all worked. We had done sort of customer development to, to start out, and we ended up being one of the first teams to finish it as a winner in third place uh, at the event for a Startup Live, which is a European-wide event that they have in many different countries. What's and the for us, it was, event, Andrew? It's Startup Live. Startup Live, okay. Yes, it's part of, as well, uh, part of the Pioneers Festival uh, organization that they organize it. Um, which is another big festival that happens in Vienna. Um, oh, fantastic. Do you find that, that, uh, that competition kind of motivated you guys a little bit more to get this going? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, we probably would have gone on for another six months, like going backwards and forwards with different ideas. And <laughs> not that we were motivated to get started, and we had both done uh, previous startups as well and been involved uh, in business and uh, it was just about really finding that unique idea, which was some of the misconceptions that you make in the beginning, starting out uh, and really wanting to be unique or not wanting to share your idea. Um, there's quite a few different things like that as you start and you actually dive into and get started with your startup, you realize are obsolete and for most of the part uh, are the things you should be least worried about. So yeah, and from that perspective, it just got us to dive in. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just want to uh, add there. Um, I've talked to a few other entrepreneurs, and they say the same thing: is that uh, one of the things they regret is that they didn't share their ideas enough, and, um, and that they played them too close to the chest. And I think that's that's definitely a mistake that I guess new entrepreneurs make: is that uh, you know, they want to protect their ideas. But I think when you you share it, you, you kind of make it more real, right? It's almost like you're you're committing to it when you you, you state it publicly to other people and and then you you find that you get the support that you need. You know, people want to help you out. Absolutely. I mean, for us, it was one of the biggest shocks that we got actually since we started the company was um, after we had won the startup live, we said, okay, it's good idea validation. Let's take this serious. Let's get it started. So we ended up making applications to accelerator programs in Europe. We made to four different applications. We got accepted to three. And we chose to go up to Copenhagen, uh, which is a startup boot camp accelerator three months where they give you just a, enough money to survive over three months to focus on building your product. Uh, so from the time we went to the startup live event, six weeks later, we were in Copenhagen. And during that time, we had uh, 
Uh, all four of us quit our jobs because there was a wife that came over with us as well at the time, uh, packed up our apartments, put everything into boxes and moved over to Copenhagen thinking that, okay, this is where we were going and then from there to London. Uh, and the first thing that happened to us when we arrived was uh, we sat down with the managing director and uh, Lars Buch at the time and he said to us, he's like, guys, you've got a fantastic team, but your idea is shit. Excuse me for saying this, but... Uh, so for us, like that was like a big slap in the face in a way. It's like, okay, we've just quit our jobs. We've moved countries thinking that we had this great idea and we were coming to build out our, our dreams now. And uh, the first piece of feedback that we get is that uh, we need to go back uh, to the drawing board and really focus on what is the problem we're trying to solve. Uh, so, How did and you I feel like in that moment? Did you just, uh, were you depressed? Yeah. Did, did your stomach sink? Like it was, was it a sinking feeling? Yeah, because I mean, you, you're on that high, like going up, like it's so cool. We've just been accepted to one of the best programs in Europe, and uh, you've got all that motivation and all that energy as well of uh, being in a new place and excitement. And then it, it was like uh, you did get that sinking feeling. It's like, okay, what is he talking about now? And it's that thing that you said before that trying to hold on to an idea. And after the conversations, we sat for about three, four hours, like uh, in a room, just the four of us. And uh, they're saying, okay, what is it we're going to do? How are we going to do this? Like, uh, is he right? Should we just go with our guts? And we really start to analyze, like, some of the mistakes that we made and the way we were sharing our idea and the way we went and did our market research at the time and realized, okay, this uh, they are right. And uh, we weren't really solving a problem with uh, the solution that we had proposed. But there was a solution. Uh, there was a problem that we could be solving. And uh that's when we started with our first pivots uh, with Funifies to where we are today. Uh, okay, so and the reasoning, I mean, yeah, sorry. Uh, what, what did you guys do next? Yeah, so uh, we had, like, uh, from that point, we had two or three options that we could take the product, the current product that we had. Uh, and they were going into different fields. So the one was going to be, like, in retail, which we had a bit of experience as well. Uh, but the one that really like resonated with us and we had quite a lot of discussion before was actually working with kids. Uh, from one part, uh, George and myself, we, our target market at the company we were at were, was focused towards kids and teens and uh, we felt we were doing them an injustice at our previous role. Uh, and then we were lucky as well, like Dennis had worked with the likes of like Disney XD and CBBC. So he had really good, strong skills in working with kids and we said, okay, that's what we want to be doing. That's where we can make the most impact. And we believe we could build uh, the biggest business uh, in that space. So we took it then, narrowed it down from a broader audience and just specifically focused on kids. Uh, and the reason why we focused on kids as well was then we went out and we interviewed around 200 families and said, okay, uh, what is the biggest pain conflict that you have in your household? Uh, and every one of them came back to us and said, getting my kids to do their chores. Uh, we asked them then, okay, are you using a system? Uh, how is that system working currently? Uh, and these are the questions that we learned afterwards were the right question starts. where in the beginning where we're going out and doing our research was saying, okay, uh, if I told you that if you cleaned your house and you played a game, you could win prizes, would you enjoy cleaning more? Uh, and I think we had like 99% of people say yes to us. Uh, and these are the sort of things like you – when we're asking and you're trying to validate an idea or a problem, it should always be on people's past pains rather than their future opinions because it's easy to say yes or to, to say, yes, I'll buy that product, but until you've actually given over the money or you're actually trying to solve that problem in a different way, uh, it's all just assumptions that you're making. So, I think that's um, 
every child, you know, they hear chores and then they just think, oh, that's boring. It's, it's like punishment. Yeah. You know? So, of course, they don't want to do it. So, I mean, for, for us, the, with the, the chore side, we, we do it in a few different ways. So, like, one is we, we provide parents a platform to assign tasks for their kids. Once their kids complete their tasks, they accumulate points. Uh, and then parents can assign rewards, so they could say, like, movies Friday night with your friends, and the kids can claim them. But we've also built in a Funify store where kids can actually go in and purchase physical goods, like a bicycle or a PlayStation and uh, real-life goods, uh, and they can make these requests to their parents. So we're giving independence to kids. And the next step now, as well as then allowing them to actually spend uh, their own money on their PlayStation, their Xbox, uh, and wherever else they're spending online without their parents worrying uh, like where's my child giving my credit card now or where they're spending money. Uh, the control is given to the kids, but at the same time the parents still have that overview look to say, okay, yes, you can spend at these few shops. These ones are not allowed. And then obviously you have the freedom to switch it on and off whenever whenever they feel. So uh, for kids, that's it's an exciting thing. It's okay. Uh, this is something now that I've got independence and uh, they get really excited by it. And then you'd be surprised as well how far just a really good design and uh, animations and characters goes as well with, them, uh, with the younger kids, and they do get really excited. So we've had some really, really great feedback from parents. So this is just like an app from uh, for iStore or uh, Android? Yeah, so our app is available on the iStore at the moment now. Okay. Uh, we'll be launching later this year with uh, the Android version, and in about the next 30 days, we'll have a web-based platform that will be accessible across all devices. So. How many versions have you gone through to this point? Sure. Uh, to be honest, we're losing track now, probably like 12, 15 versions. Uh, we, we like to... Uh, iterate fast, so uh, not every version that comes out uh, has got major changes in it. It's more of an iteration, uh, but continuously making changes. And one of the biggest uh, difficulties we had up until now was actually really nailing our user interface and experience as well, Uh, taking into consideration that we're working with two totally different demographics, so we're dealing with parents and with kids. Uh, and the way that kids interact with apps and the way that parents uh, of a certain age interact with uh, apps is two totally different worlds. Uh, and it was about just finding the right mix and the combination that it was clear and straightforward for both. And probably the other mistakes you make is making things too complicated to start. And then just what we've been doing lately is actually just getting rid of all the complications and going to doing one thing really well. I see. So, what was your uh, minimal viable product like then? Do you guys do you feel like you over prepared for it? Like you, you added too many bells and whistles? How long did it take to create that, and how much did it cost? Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so a minimal viable product. Uh, again, mistakes that we make along the way, and we, we've learned up until now. So, we wanted to make this product that was going to be cross-platform from day one, uh, and I think that was definitely a mistake in that we, we tried to go about building a web-based HTML5 app that could be then ported uh, through iOS and Android. Uh, from that, I mean, it's quite a learning curve because as well from our dev resources uh, with Android and iOS, so to go and learn a new platform as well was, was costly. Uh, it took us probably around six months to get uh, to a first uh, stage where we could we were happy to give it out. And 
we probably should have released it sooner. We would have realized uh, the mistakes faster as well. Uh, one thing I'd definitely advise and what we've stuck to now up until now is really focused on getting one platform right first uh, because the cost as well afterwards, every time you're making changes and you make a lot of changes, is that you're making them on one platform, it's okay, but if you have to go make them across all, all the different platforms and then focusing on web as well, it just becomes a lot more costly and time-consuming. Um, so I think the, the faster you can get out, the better, and uh, the higher focus, uh, even better. I mean, it's you shouldn't be worrying from day one, how am I going to reach the maximum amount of users? It should be like, how can I make the first 100 users really, really happy and then scale that out? Uh, and there's a lot of other things as well, like you focus on building the perfect product, but what really matters at the end of the day is, is your retention metrics and what's your customer lifetime value, how much money are they spending through the platform. So the sooner you can get a, a really small group of people to that stage where you're happy with the retention, you're happy with uh, the amount they're spending, then is the time you start to worry about, okay, how can we make this now and reach it out and how can we grow our user base? Uh, I've heard that that's one of the most important qualities first especially startup entrepreneurs, is focus and directed focus and sticking with your core competencies and not spreading yourself too thin too quickly because um, then you're just trying to, to do too much and you're not doing any, any one thing well, right? Absolutely. And it's very easy as well to, to go off. Uh, <laughs> and you, you have to constantly keep reminding yourself because you, you do and you'll get like some feedback from a customer. When is this going to be available on Android and then, You'll get another one the next day as well. Like, I really love this app, but it would be great if my kids could access it. They've got Android devices. And you sort of get this itch, okay, like we really need to get the Android uh, app out now. Uh, and you want to get going, but then you've always got to come back and say, okay, what is the purpose now? I mean, it doesn't make sense to build the Android app now, and we still know we're going to be constantly making changes over the next month or two months. Uh, and then come back to Earth and say, okay, it makes more sense just to, to stick it out for now, uh, keep focused, and the rest will come as well and the right time uh, is the right time for everything I think that's almost like a fault uh, for us entrepreneurs is we finish one project and then we want to rush off to the next one and then we forget you know the things that got us to where we are in the first place we, we kind of ignore those um, Absolutely. and it could be platforms it could be uh, different marketing channels it could be ignoring our, our current customers and trying to chase after new ones um, so once you had that initial base of customers, who were your first customers? How, how big was that? And then uh, where did you go from there? Because, uh, you know, I've, I know a little bit about your story, uh, and you're doing a lot of uh, focus on growth hacking uh, now. And I think it's quite fascinating and something that's uh, going to help a lot of people, and that's something a lot of people can be inspired by. Um, and what I really like about what I've read about you and what you're doing is that you've set up this culture of, experimentation. You've kind of been testing, tweaking, uh, mixing up the content on your blog until finally you struck gold. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what the growth was like? Tell me the growth curve. Yeah. What you've done. Uh, so, I mean, for us as well, like, at the, this current moment, we're not really focused on growth. I mean, we did a launch and uh, those experiences that you mentioned uh, paid off. But uh, really what we decided from day one, the way that we would go about building out our strategy was because we're in a demographic where we're dealing with parents and kids and we needed to build up trust with our audience as well for them to say, okay, this is a company we can trust. We we decided as well that, again, that we are dealing as well with a bit of an emotional audience and that we could definitely deliver content to them 
that would be able to, to build up our trust, add value to our end user, and then be able to, as a result of that, uh, push on our products and services. So we spent a bit of time in the beginning setting up a, a company blog, which we took that from zero to 25,000 monthly visits in about four months. Uh, and we continue now to, to work on that. And I mean, initially what it was, was that quantity. So how many articles can we get in? Uh, we got up to about one a day. Then we said, okay, over the Christmas period, let's see if we can get that out to about three a day. Uh, and, and really spend a bit of time experimenting on that side, like uh, the quality of the articles, the length, uh, what was making a difference. Uh, and a good thing we did in the beginning was spend quite a bit of time making sure that we had the right analytics in place, and not only on from a web perspective, but as well within the app that we can always make educated decisions and uh, run experiments, uh, as you say, and actually see what the results were at the end of the day and then see if it was worth our time. So the way we like to work basically is in terms of the growth and the marketing side is really keep an, an autonomous uh, sort of system in place and that uh, the data wins. So we basically, whoever is part of the growth team or part of the marketing side can do pretty much anything they want. Uh, as long as it's, it's focused on our single metric and our goal, which is currently at the moment focused on, on increasing our monthly active users. Uh, they're allowed then to experiment in freedom. So whether it be working with things like paid ads and, uh, through Facebook, whether it's, uh, coming up with experiential pieces of content like uh, you mentioned before, we, we created a parenting study uh, or one of our latest uh, ones now that we're going to be releasing as well is a really cool interactive infographic. Uh, you're allowed to do what you want just as long as at the end of the day we document what we're doing, how long the time it takes to get these things done and what the results are. So uh, later we can come back to them and say, okay, this one took us the least amount of time. We had the most, uh, we had the best results. Uh, let's see if we can do more of this. Uh, and in the beginning, you do make mistakes, and uh, there's some experiments that end up uh, being better than others. Uh, and you can spend a good amount of time to get to that one really good experiment that says, okay, this really pays off. This is something that works, uh, and now let's replicate this. Uh, and then that curve that you do get, so you get a steady sort of growth uh, over a few months, and then that curve can be in a matter of two, three days, uh, you can see more traffic uh, than you were seeing over the last four or five months. Um, and these so things, the term sort of... Okay. Sorry. Do, you, do you set yeah. goals like uh, for each month uh, where you just like, um, we want to increase the traffic by 20% this month, so we're going to try one thing to increase that? Yeah. One thing at a time each month? No, uh, the way we set it was like we set uh, by quarter goals. Uh, so we actually, we, we print them out, we stick them up uh, on the big posters in the office. Uh, and they range various things. We have one major goal that we're all focused towards and there's smaller goals that play a part of that as well. And there might be something as simple as like uh, increasing Facebook uh, fans by a thousand uh, fans over the next quarter. Uh, and then what we do is everyone can run different experiments based on that. So uh, if the one thing is increased website traffic, uh, there's so many multiple different experiments that can be run. So if it is increased website traffic by 20% over the next three months, we could run maybe 20 different experiments in three months to, to get us to that stage. I see. So uh, you, have, you have multiple people running multiple experiments at the same time. Yes, Oh, I see. Okay. So you don't have like one director saying, you know, we're going to try this and then the whole team works on it. You have uh, how many people doing this? 
Yeah, so at the moment we have three people writing for our blog, so that, that helps there. And then we have another three of us that focus on uh, all the different uh, other pieces that we work on. So whether it be press release and press side of things, uh, working on new features for the site itself or, or within the app, uh, coming up with these interactive infographics and, and working with that. So we we split up and sort of, I mean, obviously we have our touch points every day on a daily basis with stand-ups and we all know what the team's working on uh, and we align with each other where we can in terms of the different experiments. But it's really, we wanted to give that autonomy to everyone that doesn't feel like a job where you have a director telling you what to do and how to do it. As long as you know where we need to get to and you make sure that you, what you're doing is aligned with that, then you have the freedom as well. And I think this creates as well uh, an even more exciting experimentation culture in that if it's not one person giving you direction, one person's thoughts and ideas and the way it can go, uh, you're not restricted in this way and you, you come out with a lot more exciting results at the end when it's things that one person might not have thought of than the own and you have a different perspective from six different angles. It, it definitely goes a long way and we've seen it, the results here. It seems like you have a lot of trust in these people. Um... How did you find them? And then once once you found them, did you kind of groom them and, and then empower them to make these decisions on your behalf? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, that was sort of the goal from day one when we set out as well with building the company was that we wanted this to be one of the best places uh, to work at and we wanted to really empower uh, the people that were working with us, people that were part of our team. Uh, because we realize, I mean, the, the number one success thing I think believe for us anyway as a startup is our team, and without the people in it, we really we don't have anything at the end of the day. So uh, the way we, we spent quite a bit of time as well working on our company culture, making sure that we were first of all hiring the right people. Um, so we every hire that we did was at least three or four of us in the beginning stages to win it, and. Uh, we hired some more experienced people as well. We hired uh, quite a few interns, which helped and turned out to be really, really successful for us as well. Uh, and then just sort of, if it's an earlier stage employee, we, we made the time because we knew, okay, investing the time in them for the first two, three weeks would actually be a lot more beneficial than just getting them on as an intern position and uh, passing them on like uh, the work that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, which is something that we really don't believe in, that if you join us uh, no matter which stage, I mean, you're joining us to add value, and uh, we also don't like to, to stick it down. So we hire for a specific position at the start, but as well if we can see that somebody is really excited about a certain topic or area and can add value, they're free to do that. Uh, I think it just really helps that we all have these common goals that we focus on uh, that guide us along the way. Uh, but it's just really about... Having the faith in the team as well comes from knowing that, okay, we have this sort of open culture where we say, okay, this is the way we work, this is our goals, this is where we're at. And then nobody ever really questions as well what needs to be done or how it should be done because they already know. Uh, and you, you see the results as well. So, like, in the beginning it is a little bit nerve-wracking, like, okay, uh, because you start out, there's two or three of you and you're doing everything on your own and you don't want to give up the control, but you realize you can do so much more. And as you move forward as well, people become specialized in certain areas and uh, they become a lot better than you uh, were at certain uh, topics uh, to start out in the beginning. Uh, when you start to see that, it becomes a lot easier to trust as well. And, uh, 
I think we had, our, our approach is a little bit slightly different because I try to you know get a lot of hands-on experience at first. I want to make sure the process is perfected, and then I create the standard operating procedure. And then, uh, for me, I think that the, the operating procedure, once it's built, is is pretty rigid. Um, do do you create these procedures, and are they pretty flexible? Like you give people a lot of uh, room to work with within the framework. Would you say? Um, not really. I mean, like for us, we we like to uh, keep uh, to deadlines, and we like to make sure that we reach on time. So, uh, one thing is like every week we have our uh, weekly stand-ups with the team. So this is really like being accountable to one another and uh, knowing, okay, that I'm putting in the work that everybody else is doing the same. So every Friday we basically spend about an hour uh, just before we go off and maybe have a drink together after work is. Uh, sitting down, okay, what was done this week, and everyone gets to demonstrate what cool thing that they've worked on for the week. And we find that this is really an effective way to get everybody else motivated to make sure that they're getting done because when you start to see that everybody else is producing cool things around you, it almost forces you to think, okay, Friday's coming up. What have I done this Friday? What have I done this week? Have I not done enough? Uh, and then you, it's very, very rarely that you'll see somebody that, uh, it's actually, to be honest, I haven't had one day yet where we sit on a Friday and wondering what was this person doing all week. Uh, so, I mean, there's obviously different ways, and I, I came from that very, very rigid and structured way as well, working in corporate before. Uh, and I just felt like for me as a person as well, uh, and working like in a creative environment, I didn't find it uh, beneficial, and I, I felt that I would have been more productive if I had a little bit more flexibility and freedom uh, to go out and then do the things that I really felt would benefit the company because a lot of the time you're working with a boss and uh, you go to him for approval and but he's not really hands on the ground working on that specific problem at that time and doesn't know all the effects inside and out and uh, a lot of the time it doesn't really make sense for that person to be making those decisions uh, even though obviously I mean with his hierarchy and he's been working there for years and understand the business better than most people uh, when it gets to like the nitty-gritty of things uh, and you responsible that for specific focus, uh, I personally believe as well, and we're seeing it here yeah, coming to effect, that you're the best person to make those decisions. And you'll make mistakes, obviously, but we have this thing, it's like use good judgment, uh, and up until now, everyone's pretty much used good judgment. So I, I'm sure that there will be a day when there will be a mistake, but I I just see, yeah, I feel as well, it makes everybody feel a lot more happier at work, and uh, the results and the work that they do produce uh, it feels happier at the end of the day, and you can see it in the work. Interesting, and I, it's I've always thought, um, you know, I've always believed the saying that uh, your employees or your customers, uh, no one cares as much as you, the founder. Would you say because like you know nobody has the same passion or enthusiasm? I, I that's at least what I've always believed. But it seems like you found a way to really motivate the people that you're working with. Um, not just by you know being a great place to work, but uh, having them invested in the success of the company. Um, what what was your successful strategy for for making that happen? Yeah, so this is actually something like really interesting reading. Uh, I think it was Richard Branson's uh, book, Like a Virgin, um, and he mentioned like one of the biggest problems you can see in the company is when people within the company start referring to the company as they or them rather than as us or we. Uh, and as you said, I mean, this is something that really wanted people to feel invested and feel that there was a part of it. So, I mean, one side of it is uh, all 
early employees as well received some form of equity in the company. Um, we had our equity packages worked out as well with our investors so to allow us whoever we bought on to be compensated in that way. So to some small extent, everybody does have ownership in the product and in the company. And then it's also about it, when you think about it, like the amount of freedom that they've been given, it becomes their work more than uh, than ours as well as a whole in that uh, you're working on specific things and you, you, these are your ideas and you've put your effort into it and it's coming out and you're starting to see it come to life. You want to see where it's going to go as well. Uh, rather than it's your boss telling you this is how it should be done and uh, I want this on my desk by Monday. Uh, when it's something that you're excited about and you want to see it go, you do feel that ownership a lot more and you feel a lot more proud about what you're working on together. And then this sort of extrapolates amongst us as a team and uh, we all get that sort of that feeling that we're on a mission together and uh, it, it really is about building the vision and uh, where we want to go. And we want to make sure that the people that join our team align with the vision and align with what we're trying to do. Uh, and one of the biggest things, I mean, when we hire as well is mindset uh, that we focus on. So, uh, not really in terms of skills. Obviously, we have our technical interviews when it comes to dev and that to make sure that they're technically sound. But really, like, has this person got the mindset and the attitude that's it's going to be help evolve the culture and the way that we want it to go forward? And has it got that positive thinking that's problem solving? That's uh, not going to come to you and saying this is not going to work. What should I do? It should come to you. Okay, this is broken, but I've got this solution for you. Uh, and. I think that's that helps to create that ownership. People see that they're surrounded by really talented guys that are building really cool things, and they want they have the opportunity to build what they want as well at the same time, working on on a common vision. It goes a long way. Yeah, and I can see it. I mean, I can see it on your website, uh, funify.com. You have your core values on there. You have a, a wonderful design. Um, it just it just seems like a, a company that's approachable and you know enjoyable to work at. Uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit here a little bit because this is how I found out about you. Um, I want to talk about growth hacking. Uh, you had this watershed moment. I, I know your story a little bit. You went to Product Hunt's meetup at uh, the Google campus uh, in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, in London. And uh, you were listening to another uh, startup entrepreneur um, talking about how he... Uh... Actually, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Maybe you can, can tell me about that story. Yeah, uh, so it was, as you said, I mean, we went over to a meetup in London. We were lucky at the campus and we were sitting there. We were working on like a, a few different things up until then, uh, loads of different experiments in front of and we were doing, had good results, but nothing really sort of uh, through the roof or that you would expect as like a startup growth uh, story. And sitting there, it was a talk um, from one of the CEOs of Truity. Uh, and Trudy is a reputation management tool. And what he turned around and was talking about was really um, their first early growth and how they got themselves to their first million users. Uh, and he he basically said, okay, that when they started out was that they found that uh, personality tests was the number one searched um, term in Facebook graph at the early stage when you could still search through through Facebook as well for specific key terms, uh, as well as it was like the number one search term in most of the popular app stores like Apple and Google Play after your usual suspects of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. 
so he saw opportunity in this, and uh, they created a series of these uh, personality tests where for them all they really needed to do was get somebody to sign in with their service, uh, and then they could build out their platform. And uh, they have found incredible success, and they drove to a million. So it really inspired us, and it's something that we've been talking about for a while. Uh, we thought, okay, there's definitely value in coming up with something uh, and creating this parenting test that they could see what style they were. Uh, so it sort of just pushed us over the edge and said, okay, yes, let's do this. Uh, it's obviously works and it works really well uh, if done right. Uh, Andrew, and at the time, can, um, if I can interrupt uh, real quick, uh, what was the original personality test that they did for Trady? To be honest with you, I'm not even sure. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it was pretty much these the standard sort of ones that you see everywhere on Facebook and, and whatnot, and nothing really serious as well. So it, it was just simple. I mean, their goal was really um, getting people to sign up, and he, he, said, he turned around and said himself that he was embarrassed for humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still remember it was quite like just to see how popular these tests were, and for them it was all about hustling. So uh, if you speak to an investor and you tell them you have a million in anything, it helps and it goes a long way. And that was their goal, so it wasn't really about creating this ultimate parenting test or a personality test or something that actually did work. Mm. It was just getting people to. So I'm not too sure on that side. So when you created uh, this uh, personality test for parents, um, did you do some benchmarking? Did you look at some other successful examples uh, out there? Not really, no. Like uh, what? Because I mean, this was just if he, if he told us that they acquired a million users. From these uh, tests, it was a good enough benchmark to say, okay, we can maybe get some small fraction uh, of success and uh, it's, it will be worth a try. And did we were you, actually like to have the capabilities to know how to do this, or did you have to research? No, I mean, to be honest, we, we took a very, very lean approach to it in that we were lucky at the time we already had an article written and prepared that was going to go out on our blog. Uh, and the article itself was a sort of a test that you you read through the six questions, you chose A, B, C, or D, and which one you most chose, there was the answers at the bottom of the article. Uh, so we said, well, why not just take this one? Uh, and it wasn't even anything special. Like, I mean, uh, the test itself, it was made up by uh, one of our writers, uh, and the results as well, it, it was a, it was a well-written well in a way, and can, I can explain and elaborate on like a few of the things which helped with social sharing on side of things. But it was just, okay, let's take this. Let's find like a WordPress plugin, that, the fastest way we can build this. Uh, we spent a bit of time just to make it look good because I think it's really important when you, um, you're now in the amount of content that's thrown around and people get exposed to, uh, they need an experience uh, and something different to experience and to want to consume this content. So we spent a bit of time making it look good, and then we we put it out. Uh, so it it was maybe three days worth of work to get it to where it was, and uh, scrambling to try and get it to, to look good on mobile after we had launched as well. Okay, so you said it three days. You said, yeah. Wow, that's so you did all the design and the the, the programming. Uh, the copy was already written. Uh, you spent. You so said you said you spent one hundred and fifty dollars, and um, you collected two thousand seven hundred email signups, and then uh, over six thousand page views in just uh, three or four days, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and that actually, we 
we pulled back as well afterwards because, like I mentioned before, growth wasn't our main focus. So uh, we definitely could have pushed it more and, and gone out more as well. And we'll definitely be doing more of this uh, because we've seen it resonate with our audience. So when we start to go into growth mode as well, really, and we want to, to start acquiring uh, users, this will definitely be an experiment that we're running again and uh, with varying success. I mean, one might be slightly more serious notes. One will be, again, playful and fun just like this. So you weren't, you weren't ready for this, this kind of uh, traffic of these numbers, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for us, again, it was just sort of like at the same time while we're building our product, we're building on our marketing side of things. And uh, we, we our deal was wanting to be ready when the product was ready. And maybe the truth is now we're a little bit ahead on the marketing side than we're on the product. Uh, but the product is catching up very fast. Uh, so the good thing is now that when we are ready to push out, uh, we, we've tested all these different channels. We've tried all these different, if you want to call them hacks, I don't like the word hacks, but uh, <laughs> you can call them that and uh, they work. Uh, and now we've got like a, a proven go-to-market strategy that uh, we've seen with a very little effort can uh, can produce really, really good results. Mm. Uh, and then it's not only like about these results, I think it's the follow-on that comes in after them. So, uh, I think you mentioned as well, Dan, that you found this through Reddit. This I wrote this blog post on Medium. Uh, this specific post itself has received over 10,000 uh, views so far, and it continues to drive traffic to our site as well, people visiting, continuing to take the test. Uh, so since then, I think there's been about another two or 3,000 sign-ups uh, since I posted this. Uh, so it really is something that can go... Uh, viral if it's if it's done right and, and pushed in the right way. That's fantastic, and I like I like what you said too. Um, you know, you can't hack too much if you're not ready for that growth. I think when yeah. it comes to to marketing and product development, they kind of it's kind of like a give and take relationship. They kind of give to one another because um, you're always getting real time feedback from your customers as you grow to scale. Um, the next question I, I, I we kind of alluded to this, but I wanted to ask you uh, once you had this you know, this campaign ready, how did you, uh, what was your distribution? Like, how did you increase the reach of this test and uh, what was your plan of attack for that? Sure. Okay, our plan of attack was basically just to spam everyone we knew. Uh, this is, uh, it's, it's quite ironic, like, we apologized to all of our friends afterwards, but uh, what we found was, like, a really good effect was just going out. We went through Facebook Messenger. We were sitting at, like, about 10 o'clock at night, a few of us, uh, just messaging every parent that we knew, uh, going on encouraging them to take the test, share the results. And then this sort of created like a flow of, uh, because they were sort of a close group of friends and everybody knew one another. If you saw one of your friends sharing something about what parenting style they are, and then you saw another two parents that you were connected to, uh, it started to gain quite a lot of interest. And this helped us uh, to, to gain some sort of momentum on that side over and above uh, the parents that we knew. Uh, and then we started looking at other various other channels. Uh, so we posted the test as well on uh, through Reddit, through the, the various uh, channels in Reddit. Uh, we went out as well to a few other places like StumbleUpon uh, and whatnot. Then what we started noticing as well was like the majority of our users was uh, either Cyprus uh, was mainly like uh, Cypriot or South African or English as well, which were our friends' base, which we're focusing on. We wanted to give a little bit more heavy emphasis to the UK. 
So that's where we spent our $150 uh, was actually just getting a bit of distribution in Facebook and but really not just going broad, really trying to narrow down, pick a city and um, target uh, towards that specific city. So hopefully we could sort of get the same knock-on effect that we were seeing uh, amongst our friends uh, where they were seeing two or three people, connected people sharing the same content and then their mutual friends going on as a result. How did you uh, motivate your friends to share with their friends? Yeah, so, I mean, that was just, look, uh, we need your help. Uh, and, and I think after about, like, the probably the hundredth person, we sort of started getting excited ourselves. Uh, and we're telling our friends, okay, guys, this is really taking off. We really need your help. We want to give it that extra push and boost. Uh, and also because we have in our office, we have a... A chime that goes off every time there's a download in the office, so it beeps, and uh, that excitement kept us going as well. And we were saying, okay, guys, please, uh, just spam. There's no better way to, to, do, to describe it. But we're lucky that we have got a group of supportive friends as well that were going out and doing it. And uh, I know the feeling of excitement when, when the, the board just lights up and then you see all these people are coming to your, your site or they're signing up and it's just taken off and... You feel that excitement just welling up in your body. It must have been something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really exciting. And for us as well, we have sort of had like, uh, we realized after about the 100th one that we weren't capturing all the, the signups through mobile, that the form was broken. So it was even more exciting, like trying to hack together a solution that was going to work everywhere while the test was live and not hopefully not mess up the whole uh, test all together because obviously by that time that everyone had started sharing on all their different social channels uh, and they needed to come and arrive at a working and that could be captured correctly so so what have you learned as a result of this experiment um, about your your marketing or um, about your product and its place in the marketplace yes uh, I think I mean what we learned from this definitely is uh, how well these tests work. I mean, it's, it's a basic thing, but uh, definitely like people really want to start experiencing content. Uh, it's, I mean, we can take it back from the very beginning. Like it all started a few years ago when everyone started on social media and how content is king and everybody started to go out and create this amazing content and people started missing sort of the channels that they were targeting and uh, reaching out to and, then they started realizing, okay, we need to have context. So each channel that I'm going to start to market to, I need to create content for that channel. And there's a different audience on that channel and we need to know how to reach that audience. Uh, and then now I think what's really going to be like the next level is, is experiential content with context, whereby it's not just another good piece of video. It's actually an experience that you involve the person in themselves. So they're not just purely reading a blog post as it could have been in this case and, maybe shared it, maybe didn't, you're actually getting them to, to give input. So they're giving over sort of ownership as well. They sort of getting, uh, they're feeling like they own the product themselves because they're giving value uh, into it. And then at the end, they're getting this really cool experience, nice results that they can share. And they're receiving this in, in a context through the channels like Facebook that they want to see this sort of content as well. So one thing we've learned is when we're going out now with our demographic and is really starting to create uh, this experiential content that has context depending on the channels that we're targeting and not just trying to create content that sprays and tries to fit everyone 
uh, rather focus on the channel, see how we can make this an experience for the user and, and work on that. And it's probably one of our next experiments that we're running now, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the most exciting things that we're going to be doing at the moment. Uh, that we've created a, we've run together with another st- fellow startup with friends of ours called Polefish. Uh, and we're going to, we're conducting the world's largest independent parenting study around the effects of chores on your, on kids and how parents perceive their kids. Uh, and it's not just your normal white paper study. We've actually created a really cool interactive infographic, uh, whereby there's various filters and People that come out it can compare uh, the likes. Okay, you can compare, obviously, if kids do chores or if they don't do chores. You can compare the chore habits of the U.S. versus the U.K. You can compare the chore habits uh, of mothers versus fathers. Uh, and there's quite a few different filters, and then you can filter them out. The thing, And as you're going through this, the results and the graphs change, uh, and everything's pretty interactive. So this is, is a key piece of content that we're building out now as well, that we're also going to be creating an embeddable version and we're going to be looking to reach out to, to major blogs uh, and sites and we really think it's like a key piece that uh, these publications will want to feature by the end of it. So it, it's, it's not like as easy as creating an article and a post that's going to go up on the blog and get shared or writing a guest blog post uh, well, we've also been lucky enough uh, to get a spot in Huffington Post, uh, uh, George, our co-founder. But this is something that's going to be exciting as well, like for, for the press to receive and say, okay, wow, this is a really cool piece of content. I think my audience are going to enjoy this uh, and get that featured. And uh, so when you say context, you're saying basically it has to be a very personalized experience um, for the market you're reaching out to and the channel that you're using, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, a good example is this parenting test. It works with uh, Facebook, but if I, we started sharing it on LinkedIn, I don't think it would have one-tenth of the success that we had. So it's all about understanding, like, the audience at the time, what they expect to see as well through these channels and uh, creating content for them. I think that's so critical that you have to know where you're going to uh, distribute your content before you start to create it at all. And uh, because I know, I know a lot of people do it the other way, and I think it's almost backwards, you know, they kind of just create the content and just put it out wherever, hoping that anyone will engage with it. But it's kind of like, looking, it's like looking through the wrong end of a telescope, you know. And another big thing I think we made a mistake on, and it's definitely moving forward now, is in terms of the content we create, everything is mobile first, and then it's going to be web uh, just seeing, I mean, the amount of uh, traffic from this parenting test, 71% of the participants came from a mobile device. Uh, and we initially designed this for web. So uh, that's one thing that we're going to be taking forward now is every time we create a piece of content is first what's it going to look like on mobile uh, and then uh, how can we make that experience uh, equally as good on web rather than the other way around where you create and build this perfect product for web and then struggle to to find a way to make it look good on mobile and uh, usable. Fantastic. Um, So what are the recommendations would you have? uh, We're going to wrap up this interview. um, As far as other channels that have been working for you or um, as far as scaling uh, the reach of your content marketing? Yeah. Uh, So for us, I mean, we mentioned a little bit earlier as well, Reddit, we found some uh, good success in the beginning as well. It is Again, another um, 
channel that you really need to be careful in the way that you handle it and the way you can drive traffic uh, because it can as well equally backfire on, on your, uh, with the community being quite sensitive the way they are. So you need to be making sure that you're adding value to the community, but then you see the results coming back. So we saw some good success uh, for, on that. I mean, for us, we do see good success uh, with our blog as well. So we, we use the regular channels while we're going out through like Facebook, Twitter, uh, and again, it all depends on your demographic. Uh, so for us, uh, Pinterest is also quite a good source of, of uh, traffic now where our demographic is uh, generally uh, moms and uh, Pinterest is predominantly female-driven. So it's really about understanding, again, you start in the beginning, who am I targeting, who is my customer, which channels am I going to reach them on, and then what content can I create for that channel that's it's going to excite them and it's going to want them to, to share it uh, or at least consume it, and then uh, as a result, uh, uh, sign up for my product or my service. Awesome. Sorry about the delay. Uh, I was just taking notes. <laughs> uh, great. So what's next for you, and is there anything that you would like to uh, sign off with? Yeah, I mean, uh, first, I think, first of all, thanks very, very much. And it was really cool, really nice interview. I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Uh, for us, I mean, our next steps now is uh, the next month and a half, get the product where it needs to be. And then we will see a whole bunch of different experiments coming out from us. So uh, over the next month and a half, we'll be working on quite a few exciting things. Like I said, our parenting study that you can look out for, and I'll definitely shoot you a mail when that's ready to take a look at it. Uh, we'll be running a few more of these parenting tests as well as we start to to focus on uh, on growth, and just really really excited moving towards the end of the year, growing out our product. Fantastic. And um, how difficult would you say it would be for the listener to set up a test like this? Is it something that anyone can do? Like I looked at uh, your Medium article. By the way, I, I recommend everyone check that out um, on Medium.com. Uh, just look up. How could they find it? And Andrew Michael, or maybe just look up Funify? Yeah, you can look up Andrew Michael or the article title itself, which was uh, called How We Gathered 2.7K Emails and 6.2K Page Views in 72 Hours. Something along those lines should bring it up. Uh, okay, we'll put a link to uh, that article on the show notes on openworldmag.com. Um, so on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, would you say that this is a relatively simple to set up? Uh, depends on your technical expertise. Uh, I mean, if you have basic web uh, knowledge, I'd say that it's on the scale of one to ten of easy. It's probably around a three. Uh, I mean, it, it's fairly fairly easy uh, to do so. One being the easiest and ten being the hardest. If you're a non-technical, I would put it around a six or seven. Uh, just because I mean, there, there is ways you could do it easily if you're non-technical and could even highlight a few more of these uh, steps inside this post, but uh, it wouldn't look as good in the end. So you just need to have that basic web knowledge as well to have, give it that finishing touch. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, it's pretty easy to set up and uh, install the various other elements, and there's very good tutorials online explaining to how to install WordPress, how you can actually install the plugin that's required, how to set up the test. So there, there is really good documentation that can be found and Okay, so it's all set up through the plugin. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Uh, you've been very generous, and I've, I've enjoyed chatting and talking about entrepreneurship and, and marketing with you. Thank you, Danny.